Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. These impressive pillars were actually so noteworthy that they were given names. They were called Jackin and Boaz. Every time someone came to the house of the Lord in the days of Solomon, they said, Look, there is he shall establish, and in him is strength. This set them in the right frame of mind to worship the Lord. When the crowds gathered at the morning and evening sacrifice to worship the Lord, the Levites led the people standing in front of the temple with these two great bronze pillars behind them. It was always before them. He shall establish, and in him is strength. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching, already in progress. He was the son of a widow from the tribe of Naphtali, so we know that his uh, father was, uh, uh, was, a, was Jewish and his uh, mother was too. But notice, he was the son of a widow from the tribe of Naphtali. So his father must have died when he was younger. And his father, or really his stepfather, was a man of Tyre, uh, a bronze worker. And he was filled with wisdom and understanding and skill in working with all kinds of bronze work. So he came to Solomon, King Solomon, and did all of his work for him. Now, you might want to write this reference down next to this verse and because you can look at it and you can understand where we're going with this. It's uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 2, beginning in verse 13 and verse 14. Uh, so 2 Chronicles 2, verse 13 and 14. And let me read it to you because between that verse that we just read and this verse, we're going to learn a little bit more about this, this gentleman it says in 2 Chronicles 2, verse 13, he says, And now I have sent a skillful man endowed with understanding, Hurem, my master craftsman. And here, Hiram, the king, is speaking to Solomon. Look, I'm sending you this master craftsman. He's great in bronze. His, his stepfather is great in it. He is even better. And now he, I'm sending him to you. His name is Hurem, my master craftsman, the son of a woman of the daughters of Dan. Well, there's kind of a problem there because we just read in First Kings seven that she was from the daughters of a daughter of Naphtali, right? But no worries. Notice, and his father was a man of Tyre, skilled to do work in gold and silver, bronze and iron, stone and wood, purple and blue, fine linen and crimson, and to make many um, and to make any engraving and to accomplish any plan which may be given to him with your skillful men and with the skillful men of my Lord David your father. And so Hiram sends this man who's a very gifted young man 
who can do all these things. And you know, that's really wonderful because remember, there was two gentlemen, Bezalel and Aholiab. These were two men who God had given great skill when Moses was building the tabernacle. And so these were men way back in time that really had a same spirit about them. They had the same skill level. When you compare those two passages, you may wonder, well, it says that one says that she's from Naphtali, another one says she's from the daughter of Dan. You know, um, a, a way to reconcile the seeming discrepancy is that perhaps she was born in Dan and perhaps her residence was in Naphtali or vice versa. Because obviously after her first husband died, she probably married and moved somewhere else. Or moved somewhere else and then got married. And so the Bible doesn't really tell us. And it doesn't really need to. It's just an interesting little tidbit. So that this Huram, Huram was Jewish. And his mother and deceased father were Jewish. But his stepfather was from Tyre. Was a bronze worker and a very skilled one. So as we get to verse 15 down through verse 51 at the end of the chapter. We're going to see... Um, these things that Solomon had built. We're going to see the bronze pillars uh, for the temple, the bronze sea and the oxen, the cart and the lavers, and all of these things had a function. We're not going to go into a great deal uh, of detail about those tonight. And then in verse uh, 40, we're going to see the other furnishings of the temple, which would include the shovels and the bowls and the pots, the altar of gold, the the altar of incense, the table of showbread, the lampstands, the basins, the wick trimmers, the ladles, the censers, the hinges for the doors. And, um, and, and what we can see here is a, a, a layout of what Solomon's temple would look like. And as you can see over on the right side, as you would come in from the west, you would see the two pillars, uh, which we will look at shortly. And then you walk up the stairs into this vestibule. And then inside of that, inside those doors, you would come into the area which is called the, um, uh, the holy place. And inside that holy place, you would see uh, the, the five candlesticks in, in the temple, or excuse me, in the tabernacle. There was only one lampstand on the left-hand side as you walked in, and only one table of showbread, and then the altar of incense, and then the... The material, the, the, the screen, basically, and on the other side was the Ark of the Covenant. Well, Solomon's temple is nearly double the size of the tabernacle, but instead of just having one lampstand, now we've got five on each side, five lampstands on each side, and then you've got the table of showbread, and then you've got the altar of incense, and then another door, and then on the other side of that door... Uh, which only the high priest could go in once a year, would be the Holy of Holies. It's literally a cube, a 30-foot cube. And inside that would be two large cherubim, and then the Ark of the Covenant. The two cherubim would be there, and their wings would be touching, and they'd be standing. I think they were 15 feet tall. And then right in the center of those two cherubim would be the Ark of the Covenant, and remember, the mercy seat on top of that Ark of the Covenant would be the two angels with their wings folding inward, looking down at the mercy seat. And remember what was inside of the Ark of the Covenant. At this time, there was only one thing, and it was the tablets of stone, the two tablets that Moses went up on the mountain and got, and basically it had the Ten Commandments on them. And so that is all that is in the Ark. Those are the only two pieces at that time that were in the Ark. 
And they weren't allowed to open that thing up and look around. They weren't, you know, weren't allowed to come in and have like a show and tell kind of thing. In fact, only the high priest was able to go in, and he didn't even do that. He just offered blood on that mercy seat once a year on the Day of Atonement. And so we see Solomon's temple as a big upgrade to what we saw in the tabernacle. And there are other models of the temple that I think are really good. You can see, uh, if you were to look at this model, you can see the temple right in front of you. And as you're looking, you're looking east, looking straight at the front entrance of it. And then on the left side, you will see the uh, brazen sea. And then you'll see the altar where they would make the sacrifices on the right-hand side. And then you would have these lavers, five on each side, and they would be lined up on either side of the temple. And, and then those colonnades and all of those other buildings that Solomon had built are all around and they're connecting different things. So it's a really large, a very large complex now. And so we get into verse 15, and, and this is interesting. It says, And he cast two pillars of bronze, two pillars of bronze, and each one was 18 cubits high. And a line of 12 cubits measured the circumference of each. And so when we do the math on this, it gives you the, an understanding of the enormity of these things. And it would be fun to actually have like a, a mock-up of one of these pillars. In fact, I, I've often thought about it would be kind of cool to put um, Boaz in, in Hebrew on that one and Jaquin on that one because that's what the two pillars here in the temple were. But notice, if we look at... Verse 15, there are a couple of other verses that corroborate this idea of them being 18 cubits tall or 27 feet tall. In 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 7, and Jeremiah 52, verse 21. So 2 Kings 25, verse 17, and Jeremiah 52, verse 21. Let me read them to you. And, and, and there's a reason for this, because uh, you'll notice, remember when we talked about there are certain numbers in the Bible that somehow in the translation, in the copying of the Old Testament scriptures that the scribes did, occasionally you're going to come across some uh, differences. And, and this one is a fairly easy one to corroborate or to look at, because you're going to find it, and it may kind of scratch your head, so let's just talk about it. Um, so in 2 Kings chapter 25, verse 17, it says, The height of one pillar was 18 cubits, and the capital on it was of bronze. And so we know that, because we just read it in uh, 1 Kings chapter 7. So 2 Kings 25 corroborates that, that it was 18 cubits. No problem. And, and then in Jeremiah, we look at that. And it says, Now concerning the pillars, and this was right before Nebuchadnezzar came, as he, as he came and he was carrying the plunder from the temple in 586, Jeremiah is kind of cataloging the things that he took. And one of them was, he says, Now concerning the pillars, the height of one pillar was 18 cubits. Okay, we, we heard that in Second Kings. We saw that in First Kings. And uh, so that's 27 feet tall. But then we go to Second Chronicles uh, chapter 3, verse 15, and we read this. And it says, Also he made in front of the temple two pillars, 35 cubits high. Wait a minute. 35 cubits high, that would make it 52 and a half feet tall. So which is it? Is it 27 feet tall or is it 52 and a half feet tall? 35 cubits, which is it, right? And so immediately you're thinking to yourself, uh-oh, there's trouble in paradise. But then when you go into, if you look at uh, the NIV version, 
it gives us the reason. And it's very easy. In 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 15, in the NIV, notice what it says. For the front of the temple he made two pillars, which together were 35 cubits long. And again, they're estimating. It's not a strict number because otherwise it would be 36 cubits, right? And I don't, make, I don't mean to make a big deal of this, but when you come across something like that, it may, it may kind of bug you. But the NIV has it right in the sense that it was, they were 35 cubits together. It really should be, what, uh, 36, right? But what's a cubit? You know, what's, what's, what's a... So notice together they were 35. And so this apparently is an estimate. So 35 cubits, 52 and a half feet tall. Each pillar was 18 cubits or 27 feet that would be 36 cubits or 54 feet. So we got about a one and a half inch or one uh, a foot and a half difference, right? So it's just an estimate. So we don't need to really worry about that. But there's two things to consider about this little discrepancy. Number one, the Hebrew figures for writing 18 and 35. And, and, and I bring this up because at some point in your study of the Word of God, you're going to come across things. And a lot, much of these things are very easy to wade through, and, and um, you, you can be helped through them. And people have written books about these things. And it's good to know because your faith, you, you may be uh, of, of the heart, and, and there's nothing wrong with this, where you're sensitive and you're like, if the Word of God is true, then why isn't this adding up? All right? And again, you've heard me say, don't worry about numbers too much because they don't, they're not really doctrine. Okay, worry more about doctrine than numbers that can be garbled. But here's the thing. The Hebrew, from what I understand, I don't know Hebrew. I can't write a Hebrew letter myself. But the Hebrew figures for 18 and 35 are evidently very similar. And so it would be easy for a scribe, when he's, when he's writing from the original manuscripts, to make a slip, and one little slip, one little slip, and, and they can be so close... And it changes the number. Instead of 20, it could be 200. Instead of 2,000, it could be 20 or 2. So all these things are really important. So the bottom line is, it's 18 cubits high, (laughs) which is 27 feet. So we'll move on from there. Aren't you glad? Everybody nod. Okay, we're good? Okay. (laughs) So back in verse 16, back in our text, it says, Then he made two capitals of cast bronze to set on top of the pillars, and the height of one capital was five cubits, or seven and a half feet, and the height of the other capital was five cubits as well. And so, verse 17, he made a lattice network with wreaths of chain work for the capitals which were on top of the pillars, seven chains for one capital and seven for the other capital. So he made the pillars and two rows of pomegranates above the network all around to cover the capitals that were on top, and thus he did for the other capitals. And the capitals which were on top of the pillars in the hall were in the shape of lilies, four cubits, so six feet tall, these, these, these things. And so when you start looking at the, the complexity and all the details of the temple, it is a beautiful structure. And it, you know the pillars are made out of, out of bronze. And the Bible tells us, and we'll get to this, that it was four fingers thick, all around this huge thing that was a very large column, it was a hand breadth thick. So it was hollow in the center, 
but it was made of solid bronze, burnished bronze, which means it was polished and, and made smooth. And can you imagine the sun coming up in the east and hitting that in the morning? And then the gold and then the limestone. And as the sun is coming up, it's hitting that and it's just it's blinding because of all of the gold and the, and the precious stones and the, and the limestone, the whiteness of the limestone. It's just going to blow your mind. And then, God forbid, the doors are open and then the sun comes in and just lights that thing up because all that's inside of Solomon's temple, the floors, the ceilings, the sides, the lampstands, all the furniture in there is covered with gold. It's gold. And even the door going from the holy place to the holy of holies is made of gold. And then behind that, which you can't see, are another 15 feet cherubims made of gold. And then the ark itself, the ark of the covenant, made of gold. And so when the lampstands are all on and the lights are all on, and even if the sun is coming in, the place is lighting up. Can you imagine just the awe and the reverence that it would command? You'd walk in there and probably we'd all fall on our face. In reverence. And, and isn't that the way it ought to be when we think of God? Isn't he worth having something that glory? He didn't ask for it, by the way. But isn't he worth it? The very most, the most precious thing that we can imagine in our culture, in the world, is solid gold. That's, it, I don't know that it gets any better than that. And you're walking on it. And you're, you're looking at the sides and the ceilings and everything, and all of that is like cedar and, and, and cypress, all overlaid with gold and limestone. You know, it's just like, oh my goodness. And the, the precious stones and the gems, and it's just like, oh my. It makes you think about God. <laughs> it makes you think of something, someone very, very special. And of course, it, it, it ought to. It ought to. And the beauty of the temple We'll come back to that. But the capitals, verse 20, on the two pillars also had pomegranates above by the convex surface, which was next to the network. And there were 200 such pomegranates and rows on each of the capitals all around. And then he set up pillars by the vestibule of the temple. And he set up the pillar on the right and called its name Yakin. And he set up the pillar on the left, and he called its name Boaz. And obviously these names have a significance. Boaz means, in it is strength, meaning speaking of God in him, in it is strength. And Jaquin, he shall establish, meaning God, Yahweh, shall establish. And he knows all things. He's going to establish everything. There's nothing that he can't establish. When he says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. He establishes it, it's, going to, it's good as done. Especially when he makes unconditional promises. And he gave to Moses, he gave to Abraham, he gave to David unconditional promises. And conditional ones too. But when he establishes it, when God says, when he writes in his word that things that are coming yet in the future are going to happen, and guess what? We're starting to see those things right now. Shouldn't it encourage our faith? I mean, think about it. What John wrote in the end, the very end of the first century, in 95, 96 AD, now we are seeing those things that God had given to him to write down. These things are coming front and center to us. And if you don't see that, you're not paying attention. Right? God has told us these things. And we've looked at them when we went through Revelation and even uh, at different times. But so. 
He establishes his word. He establishes those things that are important to him. And notice in verse 22 now, the tops of the pillars were in the shape of lilies. And again, what a beautiful thing to see. You can see at the top of those uh, those capitals that there's lily. It looks like lilies flailing out like that. And they were shaped like lilies, so the work of the pillars was finished. And then he goes on to another piece of the furniture there in the courtyard, and it's the sea uh, and the oxen. And notice, he made the sea of cast bronze and ten cubits from one brim to the other, a very large pool. It's a big pool is really what it is. And it was completely round. Its height was five cubits, and a line of thirty cubits measured its circumference. So the diameter of the sea of cast bronze was fifteen feet. So take a measuring stick and measure it 15 feet, and that's the diameter of how big this thing was, and made of solid brass. I think that's pretty heavy, wouldn't you think? And it was seven feet tall, seven and a half feet tall. The circumference of the whole thing was 45 feet in circumference. So below its brim were ornamental buds encircling it all around, 10 to a cubit, all the way around the sea. The ornamental buds were cast in two rows where it was cast. And so you have these oxen, and notice it stood on 12 oxen, three looking toward the north, three looking toward the west, three looking toward the south, and three looking toward the east. The sea was set upon them, and all their back parts pointed inward. And it could be, and I I believe this, that these oxen were really uh, symbolic of Israel, because we know that there's 12 tribes of Israel. There's 12 oxen, and there's three on each side of north, south, east, and west. And even when you look at Numbers chapter 2, you might want to write that in the margin of your Bible, because even while they were traveling in the wilderness, remember, as they were coming out of Egypt, going to the promised land, when they would camp, that's exactly how they would camp. They would have the tabernacle with the ark right in the center, and then all these tribes would camp on either side, on the north, south, east, and west, three tribes of each, and they would do that. And so even in these, you know, these little design details, there's no, coinc- or, you know, there's no uh, happenstance about them. There's a reason for them. And notice in verse 26, it was a handbreadth thick. So you take your hand, and that's how thick this thing was. And it was very heavy, especially when you fill it with about 11 or 12,000 gallons of water. <laughs> so it was a handbreadth thick, and its brim was shaped like the brim of a cup, like a lily blossom. It contained 2,000 baths. And a bath is approximately 6 gallons. So you do the math, it's about eleven or 12,000 gallons of water. And then he goes on to the carts and the lavers. And so he made ten carts of bronze. Four cubits was the length of each cart, and four cubits its width, and three cubits its height. So the bronze uh, carts were six feet in length, four and a half feet in width and in height, on spokes or on uh, chariot wheels. And this was the design of the carts. They had panels, and the panels were between frames. And on the panels that were between the frames were lions and oxen and cherubim, as you can see pictured. And on the frames was a pedestal on top. Below the lions and oxen were wreaths of plated work. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Kings. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as our location, service times, information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, and information regarding Bread of Life Academy, our new school opening in the fall of 2023. Just click the school link at the top of the page for more information. Additionally, you may also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play Podcast or Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.